What an exciting night, amen? Uh, we just uh, praise our Heavenly Father for everything that He's doing in our midst. <clears throat> um, before we get into the, the, the teaching tonight, I've got notes there on the table. Hopefully you have found those. Uh, if you need one, we'll try to get one for you. Um, but <clears throat> wanted to also remember what our Savior did for us and uh, it's commonly called uh, communion. Share a little story with you about that before we do that. And then uh, we've got some bread on the tables. If you want to partake, uh, feel free. If you're not sitting at a table, that's fine. We can pass it around if you would like. I'm going to get Zach to, to help me and we'll uh, pass the juice. Matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and do that while I'm talking. And you'll pass that around. If you want one, go ahead and <clears throat> take it. Um. When Yeshua came 2,000 years ago, He fulfilled the first four of the seven. Hallelujah. My, my, my. Woo, yeah. Wow. Uh, you see, I don't take that stuff lightly. I really don't. He fulfilled the first four of the seven biblical feasts. He fulfilled Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost or Shavuot. <clears throat> Yeshua died on the Hebrew calendar on Nisan 14. Nisan 14 is Passover. It's, on, it's a calendar date event, just like the 4th of July or the 25th of December. It's a calendar date. It doesn't matter what day of the week it falls on. So he died on Nisan 14. That's Passover, that evening. Uh, he was buried that evening at the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath. It's an annual Sabbath. Nisan 15 is always a Sabbath. Doesn't matter if it falls on a Saturday or not. It's a Sabbath. The first day and the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath. So... <clears throat> Here's what I want you to try to see. I know it's difficult, but uh, he died on Nisan 14, right? Because that's, that's Passover. He, they killed the Messiah while they're killing the Passover lambs. He was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And guess where the Passover lambs were raised? In Bethlehem. Guess who the shepherds were watching over them at night? They weren't normal shepherds. They were priestly shepherds. Uh, the swaddling clothes that the baby was wrapped in that was a sign were torn strips of priestly robes that could not be used anymore and that were therefore used for wicks in the menorah. That's why it was a sign for them. Yeah, it goes on and on. But what I want you to see is that... Uh, he had a last supper. 
I don't think it was a Passover meal. It couldn't have been because he'd have been having it a day early. And as a matter of fact, in the Greek text, it says that Jesus broke leavened bread. It's the word artone, which is for leavened bread. So some people, the reason I'm going through all of that is some people freak out and go, man, that's not right. It's not, a, it's not unleavened bread. This isn't right communion. Yeshua was telling them, he says, look, every night, every evening when you eat a meal, do this in remembrance of me. He said, this is my body which is broken for you, and this is the cup of my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. And when he did that, he prayed a prayer. It was a very typical, if you will, Jewish prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, creator of the universe, that caused the bread to come forth from the earth. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, creator of the universe, that, caused the fr- that brings the fruit of the vine. And then he said, and I'll not drink this again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so he was saying literally, look, every time you come together, this is a prayer all of them prayed. You know what we do? Sorry, I got sermons flying through my head. What we do, we pray. Thank you, man. I got some great people here, amen? We pray for the food, asking God to do something with it so we won't get sick. So we typically pray before the meal. They would typically pray after the meal. And they would typically say, Heavenly Father, thank you for what what you gave us. Because without you, we have nothing. Thank you for what you just gave us. And they would sing a song. They praised God. And so, I'm going to pray. I'm Baptist, what I know. I'm going to pray, and then feel free to partake of the bread and the juice, remembering what Yeshua did for us. Because when He died on that cross, He took the sins and the curse of His unfaithful bride that became a harlot. And all the curses of the law for that unfaithful bride was supposed to fall on us. But he divorced us. And in his own law, he says that a husband cannot remarry his unfaithful bride whom he's divorced and has joined herself with another or else it will defile the land So what had to happen? He had to deal with the divorce decree. So the one that issued the decree came to earth and took the curses of his own unfaithful bride so that he could remarry us and we could spend forever with him. That's what he did. That's amazing. So I'm going to pray. Feel free to take of that. If you want to wait until later, you can. Um, Folks, our God is an awesome God. Our Elohim is the one true most high God. There is no other, and we're going to talk about that tonight. He is awesome. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Yahweh, we love you very much, Lord, but our faith is frail and fragile. We're easily distracted. Pray that you would forgive us of that. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for those that came and expressed their allegiance to you through baptism. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us and even the rain that we now hear. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for us, having the body broken and the blood shed. And we take of this now, remembering what you did. And we say, blessed are you, O Lord, O Yahovah, our great King, who brought forth bread from the earth. And blessed are you, Yahovah, our great King, who brought forth the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you, Yahovah, our great God and King, who sent your only Son to die in our place. Thank you. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, our Savior. Amen. That rain is music to my ears. Amen. Mm. All right. God is good. Amen. Anybody need any notes? We might have a few left on some tables if you need one. You're going to want to take some notes. Trust me. So this uh, portion, it's Vayet Kanan. And what it means is I pleaded. So this section of Scripture is dealing with Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting with verse 23 through chapter 7, verse 11. No, I'm not going to cover all those chapters. We're really going to focus mainly on chapter 4. We're going to deal with some other chapters a little bit, but mainly chapter 4. I want to start off with reading the first few verses here. It's on your notes. Verses 23 through 27 of chapter 3. This is Moses speaking. If you remember from last week, those of you that were here, this is Moses' farewell speech. This is about 37 days before he dies, before God takes him up on the mountain and says, you can look, but you can't go in. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he's the one that's going to take the people in to the promised land. So this section starts off with Moses saying, I pleaded with Yehovah at that time saying, Oh, Master, Yehovah, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For who is a mighty one in the heavens or on earth who does according to your works and according to your might? I pray, let me pass over and see the good land beyond the Yarden. We call it the Jordan, the Yarden. This good hill country in Lebanon. But Yehovah was enraged with me. This is Moses talking. Yehovah was enraged with me for your sake and would not listen to me. And Yehovah said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me about this matter. Zip it. Go up to the top of Pisgah, lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward, and look with your eyes for you do not pass over this Yardan. You're not going across the Jordan. You're not going into the promised land. So this whole section is entitled, 
Once again, this phrase that you'll find in the first section of the first part of these sections, it's entitled, I, I pleaded. So here Moses is telling them, he says, listen, I pleaded with God to let me go. And as Susan was sharing with us, he's, he's also telling them through this section, you guys need to really listen to me. And he is saying, I'm not going over there with you. Joshua is going to take you. I'm not. We're, they're right there. But I'm not going to take you in. Joshua is. So you need to really hear me and everything I'm saying here so that when you go into the land, you don't mess this up. And then he's giving them an example. I messed up. I, Moses, begged God to let me go in. And God said, shut your mouth. That's pretty much what he said. Don't talk to me again about this matter. Zip it, Moses. Just zip it. Don't bring it up again. You're not going. So when God said he wasn't going, he meant you're not going. And if that was true with Moses, it could also be true with them as he, they had already experienced over the last 40 years, right? So this section of Scripture is packed with stuff. And I knew, man, we're having baptism. We're going to share, you know, Lord's Supper stuff, communion. I'm long-winded. There's a lot. Yeah, Betty's like, it's not happening, right? No, it's okay. <laughs> so I did give you main points, the main points in this whole section. I want to go over those with you because this is a section of Scripture that is at the foundation and the core, and I'm going to say it this way, it's the way we understand it, of Jewish life and worship. It's at the core of it. Every day there's part of this passage that is quoted. So these six um, fundamental issues... Uh, is starts off with, there's the reciting of the Ten Commandments again. You'll find that this is where, I didn't write this down so that you'll write something. So you have to write it down next to it. Yeah. Or read your Bible. But uh, the repeating of the Ten Commandments is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and it's verses 6 through 21. So that it's the repeating of the Ten Commandments here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 21. Then there's the Shema, which means hear. It's the Shema. It is what they pray twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, that's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Then there's this duty to love Yahovah and study His Torah. That's found again in chapter 5 and it's verses uh, five through seven. I'm sorry, I think that's in chapter six. It's Deuteronomy six, verses five through seven. Then there's the commandments of the tefillin. You're probably going, what's a tefillin? You ever see pictures of an Orthodox Jewish man with this leather thing wrapped around his arm and another one around his head and he's got the little box and there's a little box on his hand? That's called the tefillin. And inside that is a passage of Scripture. Because God says, you're to have it on your heart. 
you're to bind it on your hand and in between your eyes. It should be front lip between, and they take it literal. So they literally bind it around their arm and they bind it around their head and there's part of the scripture in that little box. Uh, well, that's found in verse 8. Again, chapter 6. Then there's the commandment of the mezuzah. We had some here, gave those out. It's the little thing you'll see on the door that has a passage of Scripture in it, and they'll put it on the door so that you'll see it when you go in and out of your house. We have one on our house. We even have one on our camper. It's to remind us when we go in and out to do what He said. Um, that's in verse 9, sorry. And then watch this. There's this prophecy of the exile of the Jewish people and their return in the end of days. Did you know that these prophecies started all the way back in Deuteronomy? And watch this. It's massive. And it is massively important. Yet most people are absolutely clueless that it's even there or that it's still important, and I'll show you why. It's amazing. But that's found in back in Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 through 40. Now, <laughs> here's what Moses is telling them. We're going to get into this and then look at some of these things. There's a number of things in here that are just critically important for us to grasp today. He's telling them, look, I've been leading you all this time. And he's trying to warn them, I'm not going in. You're, really, you're going to mess it up. Is what he's really, you're going to mess it up. I messed it up. I'm not going to get to go in. You're going to go in. You're going to mess it up. And then God's going to kick you out. But it's also a warning saying, I'm not going to be there to help you. And then we also get to see a little bit of his humanity here because I also believe he's not happy. I gave it to you again in the Scriptures version, but it says in there, in verse 26, you go back to the top of the page, Yahovah was enraged with me for your sake. Well, that's correct, but once again, trying to translate Hebrew into English and Greek into English, sometimes you, just, you lose some of the power behind it. Um, what he was really saying was, Yahovah was really mad at me because of you. Moses is also saying, I'm not getting to go in because of what you did. Although it was my response to what you did, but you guys kept ticking me off. They whined and whined and whined and whined and made Moses mad. Then his pride got ahead of him. Then he did what God, he didn't do what God told him to do. But God didn't say, you're not getting to go in because you struck the rock. I love the way, because you, you said it right with the kids. He said, you're not going to get to go in because you did not hold me up as holy among the people. You didn't believe me and hold me up as holy among the people. So that's why you're not going in. We want to say, well, it's because he struck the rock and the, you know, and all that other stuff. But God said, not only did you do it wrong, you didn't hold me up as holy. That's why you're not going in, Moses. You got in front of me. You didn't just trust me and just simply do what I said. 
So he's telling him, he says, I'm not going to be able to help you. So by all means, pay attention to what I'm saying. Remember, remember, remember. I, add, I highlighted some words in here for you. Obviously, you do not have the whole Torah portion. But uh, some of the words that I highlighted in here for you is this issue over guard or guard yourself. The phrase guard yourself or guard yourselves, which means to watch over and protect yourself, is found in the Scripture, I think it's 16 times in all of Scripture. Eight times. I'm sorry, no, it's 14 times. Eight times it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. Over half of the times where you see this phrase, to guard yourself, protect yourself, like that, over half the times it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's packed in this section. He's like, you need to guard yourself. You need to protect yourself. You need to watch out over yourself. You need to guard your heart. Guard yourself. Watch out. Because you're going to fail. Anybody here other than me have a hard time watching out over yourself? Trying to suck those words back in. You just can't get back in. Um, All the more reason to guard our hearts. And there's a way to do it. So let's go on here. We're going to jump to chapter 4. And this is where we're going to spend a large portion of our time. Starting with verse 1, it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the laws and the right rulings which I am teaching you to do so that you live and shall go in and possess the land which Yahweh, Elohim of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to the word which I command you and do not take away from it so as to guard the commands of Yahweh, your Elohim, which I am commanding you. So here's where we're going to see, this isn't the only time this comes up, it does come up again in the book of Revelation, where it says you're not to add to or take away from the Word of God. Here's what's sad. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. No wonder, did you know that we have 41,000 different Christian denominations? Is this on? There we go. 41,000 Christian denominations. Did you know that? Not churches. Groups. You know why? Because we keep adding to and taking away from the Word of God. In my study this week, as I do most weeks, I'm actually looking at literally hundreds, if not thousands of books in my library. I have some hard copies of some books that are Torah commentaries that are used around the world. And as I'm reading this, and I'm getting to this part about do not add to or take away, this is out of their words, not mine, that the Torah is actually this organic thing, I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit, that needs to be added to or taken away from to a certain degree to make it applicable to the current culture. Kind of sounds like my Baptist upbringing. 
kind of sounds like current Christian theology. That's why I'm saying everybody's been doing it. Catholics been doing it. Protestants been doing it. Jews have been doing it and still doing it. And God's... I'm going to read it again, right? Let's just read it again because we need to pray, read our Bible, (laughs) and repeat. We'll be okay if we just do what it says, right? Last time I heard. So he says, uh, verse 1, listen to the laws and right rulings which I'm teaching you to do so that you live. Huh. And shall go in and possess the land. We're going to see this over and over and over here. If you'll go home and read this and really study, he says, this is what you need to do and you need to do what I'm telling you to do so that when you go in the land, you won't die. And I won't kill you. And I will protect you from these enemies. But then he goes on and in verse 2 he says, Do not add to the word which I command you and do not take away from it so as to guard the commands of Yahovah. Does that need a definition? Sounds pretty straightforward, right? In other words, you don't add to it or take away from it so that it will protect the very thing that's given to you to protect you. Duh. As soon as you start messing with it, you start poking holes in your protection. So don't mess with it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And definitely don't say that God said something when He didn't say it. So let's go on. Turn the page with me. Picking up in verse 3, it says, Your eyes have seen what Yahovah did at Baal Peor, for Yahovah your Elohim has destroyed from your midst all the men who followed Baal Peor, but you who are clinging to Yahovah your Elohim are alive today, every one of you. Anybody here remember what the Baal of Peor event was? You should. You've heard me harp on it enough. It's the incident with Balaam, the talking donkey stuff. And Balaam said, all you got to do to get God to kill them is get them to worship other gods, meaning add to what God said. Just take some culturally relevant stuff and mix it in with the worship of God. We're not going to give up on Yahovah. We're just going to do some of this other stuff also. And God became extremely angry. 24,000 fell and died. Moses is reminding them, your eyes saw what happened. Watch this. Because some of your parents were them. This is 40 years later. Right? They've been out in the wilderness for 40 years. During that time, back in Numbers 25 and prior to that, that whole Balaam story, a bunch of people did what God said don't do. The plague breaks out. One of the priests stops the plague. That whole story that we talked about. It's now been 30 some odd years. 
So these people he's talking to, a lot of them are adults, but 24,000 fell, which means some of the people that are standing there, it was some of their brethren, dads, mothers, cousins, uncles, whatever, that God destroyed in the wilderness that he's reminding them. He just got through saying, guess what? I messed up. I ain't going in. Guess what? Remember what happened with some of your family folk at the Baal of Peor event? But then look what he said. This is important. There's nothing in your Bible that's not important, amen? God is not looking for filler material and blowing smoke to the teacher. It's all there for a reason. And I want to show you something that's absolutely incredible. He says, but you who are clinging to Yahovah, your Elohim, are alive here today, every one of you. I put a deal here for you note, and I didn't fill it in again because you're going to have to write it down. Listen to me. I honestly believe that these two sentences are a micro prophecy of everything else in Scripture. That's what you ought to write down as a note. This whole section is about you don't add to what God said. You don't take away from what God said. You do what He said so that He'll bless you. And it goes on. It is re real powerful. We're going to tie it into everything we do here as a fellowship. And very important. <clears throat> he, this is a, a micro prophecy for all people, I think, for all time. There is one God. Y'all going to make me do this by myself, aren't you? There is one God. Amen? Amen? There's one God, one way, one Messiah. There's not many paths. And watch this. God has mortal enemies. Angelic beings that were disobedient that we just poked them in the eye. That are His mortal enemies. He created them. They were part of His family. And they revolted against Him and attacked humanity, which was a reflection of His image. Now, for some reason, people think it's okay to bring things into God's house and worship of God that's connected with His mortal enemies, and we think that that's okay. I'm telling you, it's not okay. It's never been okay, and it will never be okay. I don't care what it means to you. I don't care what it means to me. It matters what it means to Him. So this is a micro-prophecy for all people of all time because He's saying... Those other people tried to get involved. We've talked about that syncretism. They thought it was going to be okay. They're going to worship these other gods that are demons. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? We talked about eating meat offered to idols. We know that the idol isn't anything. It's a piece of wood or a piece of stone or whatever, although it becomes a portal to that demonic activity. But the, that thing itself is not the demon. And Paul goes, we know that that's not anything, but do you not know that it's offered to demons? Paul knew it. Paul understood it. We just simply, 
we've taken away from the Word of God so long that we think it just the truth means whatever it means to us and it doesn't matter what it means. Well, that's just insane. God is God and we're not, amen? So here's something else. I've actually got two notes in here. And I said, and it's also exactly what they are about to do. It's a prophecy for all people of all time. And it is a prophet. It's a micro prophecy to them. Because you remember the event at Baal Peor? Your eyes saw it with your own family members. You saw them die. You're here alive today because you have clung to Yahovah, your Elohim. That's why you're alive. It's because you clung to him and you didn't do that other garbage. What's going to happen? They're going to go in the land. They're going to do the exact same thing and they're going to get judged for it. This thing is going to come back over and over again. And folks, I'm telling you, in the church today, it happens every Sunday, every week. And we think God's okay with it. Because after all, we got Jesus now. So we're now we're living under grace because grace didn't, it wasn't there in the Old Testament. That's a lie of the pit of hell. <laughs> I can't make that up. Grace has always been here. We're saved by grace, always, even in the Old Testament. I know I'm going on. Let's go on. Look here. This is so powerful. You pick up with verse 5. It says, see, I have taught you laws and right rulings as Yehovah, my Elohim, commanded me to do thus in the land which you go to possess. And you shall guard and do them. Look at this. For this is your wisdom and your understanding before the eyes of the peoples. I'm going to stop there for a second. This is, we, we have literally shot ourselves in the foot for centuries as a Christian church because we've said, you know, that Torah stuff doesn't apply to us. I mean, why, why bother with it? Do you know that the Jewish people have more Nobel Peace Prizes and, and all that other kind of stuff than any other people group on the face of the earth and they're like one-tenth of one percent of the earth's population? God tells them, I'm not going to have time to cover it all, but God tells them, He says, don't think I'm doing this because you're so smart, because you're so powerful, and you're bigger than everybody else. This is happening because I'm going to put my love on you. And right here He's telling them, He says, you need to guard my law. You need to guard the Torah. Why? Because it is your wisdom and understanding. You want wisdom and understanding? You need, to get the tor- you need to get these first five books in your heart. It, it's, is this not in the Scriptures? Isn't that, isn't that what it says? Is, is that what it says? Well, I thought we got wisdom by going to a, to a college. Half the time, you don't even get book smart in a college, much less wisdom. And nowadays, Lord... Yahovah have mercy on us. It's a cesspool of the devil in most places. It's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? But he says, this is your wisdom 
and your understanding, look at this, before the eyes of the peoples. That word can also be translated, look at this, nations, meaning everybody else who hear all these laws and shall say, only a wise and understanding people is this great nation. For what great nation is there which has Elohim, or God, so near to it as Yahovah our Elohim is to us whenever we call on Him? And what great nation is there that has such laws as righteous, right rulings like all this Torah, which I set before you this day? Only, look at this, guard yourself and guard your life diligently, lest you forget the words, this is fascinating, lest you forget the words your eyes have seen. And lest you turn aside from your heart all the days of your life, and you shall make them known to your children and grandchildren. Oh, my, my. He says, you need to guard yourself and guard your life diligently. This is your wisdom. This is your understanding. Guard yourself and your life diligently, lest you forget the words your eyes have seen. What did he just get through telling them? Your eyes saw what God did at Baal Peor. On top of that, some people say that these people weren't alive when it happened, and I disagree. They've been in the, they've been in the wilderness for, what, 40 years, right? Do a little math here for a second. God said <clears throat> when they got the report of the bad, the bad report from the spies, okay, you were in there for 40 days. You came back with a bad report. Therefore, for 40 years, a day for each year, you're going to wander around in the wilderness till all this generation dies, and then he said, gives them an age, right? The age was what? 20 years and older. So what it means is about, at, by now, about 38 years has passed, 38, 37 years. And some of these people were 19, which puts them in their late 40s. Watch this. Which means they saw Mount Sinai. And watch this. They saw they saw the words, the Ten Commandments, that God spoke when they heard Him speak. They heard Him speak, and God wrote it with His own hand on the Ten Commandments. And they saw the words that He spoke that Moses has reminded them, you're in covenant relationship with this God. Live like it. And if you don't, it'll cost you. Isn't that powerful? And then it says, and you shall make them known to your children and your grandchildren. Don't have time to chase that out a whole lot because this... This whole chapter and this portion talks a lot about teaching your kids. You're supposed to teach your kids when you get up in the morning, when you walk along the way while you're at work, while you're driving your kids wherever you're driving them, when you sit down to eat, when you lay down to sleep. You're to be teaching your children. Folks, this is why we have our kids that are active in our worship service and in our study, and we don't just teach them trivial stories. There we go, something... That's why we're doing it like this. But watch this. Your kids are watching you. And they're learning from you a lot more than they're learning from me. And they're seeing if you truly believe what we're talking about when you're taking them to 
zippity-doo-dah or wherever it is you're taking them to do whatever it is that you're doing. They're seeing how you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how you treat your brother and sister and your family. They're seeing how you act. That bird's going to come back home to roost. And here it says you're to teach them to your children. What is it that you're supposed to teach your children? I'm going to get down and walk among you. Yeah, you're supposed to teach them the Torah. The first book Jewish people teach their children, Leviticus. The first words they learn to spell, read, and write come out of the book of Leviticus. Don't tell me these kids can't handle it. If you say your kids can't handle it, you are hog-tying your own child. You're hamstringing them. You're holding them back and literally speaking a curse over them. They can handle it. And they can see things we can't. They understand a lot more than we give them credit for. And that is exactly why I believe that the 144,000 will be children. I got one amen. I'm going to start all over. that's, That's powerful, isn't it? Listen, you want to bless your kids? You really want to give them wisdom and understanding? You need to pour the Torah in them. And you might be saying, I've already raised them. That's okay. Start over. Today's day one. It says that this is your wisdom. We train up our kids and we give them little children type stories, you know, and then we just send them to, to schools. I love you guys. I'm not saying public schools aren't good. Okay, but we just send them off to school, send them off to the public school, send them into a Sunday school class, let the church teach them. I was a youth minister forever. I've, I've been told that. Look, we're here because of you, brother. You better help, help us with our kids. I was told that. And just pawn them off, pawn them off to the public school, pawn them off to the Sunday school, pawn them off to the digital games, pawn them off to the TV and pray it works out. And then we're going to pawn them off to the college and can't figure out why the majority of young people are running from the church. And not only that, coming away from the liberal colleges saying that God's doesn't, that's doesn't, it's not even real. Why? Because they have no foundation and have no wisdom. You know what's also weird about this? I was driving around and thinking about my sermon and this talk and thinking about our study, and man, we are just so full of ourselves. We can't simply learn to just do what he said. Just do what he said. We want to know what the payout's going to be. We want to know the what for's. We want to know the reason. We want, hey, what do I get out of this? He's God. He just told Moses, zip it, dude. You ain't going in. Because Moses wanted to go in. Watch this. Did Moses go in? Hold on. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. When? When Yeshua showed up. 
See, Moses, like us, is just thinking about, I just want to, you know, the here and now, the physical here and now. You know, what's my plan? What's going on in my life? How long am I going to live? What do I get out of this? And God's going, I got this big plan I'm doing, and I'm glorifying myself. You know what, Moses? You need to just cool your jets, dude. No, you're not going in, and you're not going to go in now because you didn't uphold me as holy. But guess what? You're going to do something nobody else is going to be doing. Because I'm going to let you go and physically talk to and bless Yeshua on the mountain where he's going to turn it all around. Where all those watchers did all their garbage and Yeshua's going to be transformed or revealed there and then he's going to say, and guess what? All that evil stuff that happened right here on that rock, the gate of hell will not be able to stand against me and my kingdom. Wow. And so that's where Moses got to go. But just like us, at the time, Moses was thinking, dude, really? I had to put up with these people for 40 years? I watched sheep for 40 years before that. You know how stinky sheep are? Then I had to deal with these stinking sheep, whining, complaining, bellyaching people, people dying all the time. I'm begging you to not kill them. I'm begging you to not start over with me. And I'm hitting a rock and talking a rock and doing this and doing that. And they're eating quail or they're throwing up quail and all that. Dealing with these people out here all this time. And I don't get to go in for one mistake. Right? Because he's thinking about just the here and now in his life and his plan and his goals. That's Moses. We do the same thing. But you see, we, we've shot ourselves in the foot because we seem to think or been told that this Torah doesn't really apply and it's not really important. Folks, that's a lie from the pit of hell and we bought into it. The devil has played us like fiddles. This, this is still true for us today that this Torah is still our wisdom and understanding. I want you to notice something. When, when I say that this is still true today, because what is it that it says here? That when you do this, the nations are going to say, this is a wise and great nation that has these good and right rulings. What nation could be like this nation because of the God that's with them? meaning that when they live their life that way, it's a testimony to the world around them, right? That's what it says. You need to jot this one down. I don't have this one in your notes either. But in Matthew 5, verse 16, is a very famous saying that Yeshua said. When He says, Therefore let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You familiar with that verse? Heard that before? That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You know what's fascinating about him saying that? Everybody here believe that Yeshua is God in the flesh? Anybody here got a problem with that? We can talk after. But I mean, he, he's God in the flesh, right? And he's always existed with God the Father, right? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've heard me, you've heard the Father. I and the Father are one. This is Yeshua saying this. Therefore, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is where you have to read your Bible in, in context. The very next thing he says is, Do not think that I came to destroy the law. 
I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it, which means shine the proper light on it. Heaven and earth will pass before the smallest jot or tittle of the law passes. And if you lessen any of these laws and teach others to do also, you will be called least in the kingdom. But if you keep, which means guard, if you protect, keep, guard, consider as holy and authoritative in your life, if you keep them and teach others to do also, you'll be called great in the kingdom. Deuteronomy is the number one book that Yeshua quotes. What's he saying? Let your righteous light shine so that when people see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. We are so dumb. I mean, it's, 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 we, we really are just, I, I don't know if we're illiterate or just dumb or just so self-centered. I think this is what we think. Well, I'm just going to be a good person. I'm going to be a really good person. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be a good person. And then people will glorify God by me being good. Well, what's good? Uh, you know, being better than Him. Whoever Him is, right? We don't even know what the standard is because we follow whatever's right in our own heart and we think, I'm just going to be good. And so when I'm good, that's going to glorify God. And good is by my definition. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Yeshua said He didn't come to do away with it. He said, let your light shine before men so they'll see your good works and glorify your Father. What good works could He possibly be talking about? Deuteronomy. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about living according to God's rules and regulations, if you will, for the purpose of glorifying your Father. You don't live by the rules to get God to bless you. That's called witchcraft. That's trying to manipulate God to do something. Moses goes, really? Hey, I'm Moses, man. Look what all I did. And then he even pleads, God, you're a great God. Who is out there like you? Oh, you know, please, please let me go. I mean, he butters it up good, doesn't he? And God goes, Moses, just shut your lip, dude. You're not going in. I'm going to let you see the land, but you're not going in. Period. If that's true with Moses, where in the world do we get Because we've accepted Jesus, we get to just do whatever we want and literally do away with what Jesus said. I'm sorry, but that's the definition of insanity. And yet that's what we've been doing. Uh, And we need to to teach this to our children, amen? Well, let's go on because I need to get to something extremely important. So picking up at verse 12, it says, And Yahweh spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. He's reminding them of the fire and the Shekinah glory there on Mount Sinai. You heard a voice of words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice, and He made known to you His covenant, which He commanded you to do, the ten words. We call them the Ten Commandments. There are these ten words. Uh, And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And Yahweh commanded me at that time to teach you laws and right rulings for you to do them in the land which you pass over to possess. Therefore, diligently guard yourselves. 
Why? Because you saw no form when Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you should do corruptly and shall make for yourselves carved image in the form of any figure in the likeness of male or even female. No carved images. Don't worship any image. Don't bow down to it. Don't do it. Why? God knows how we are. So when he spoke, he said, I'm not even going to let you see me. Because you know what you're going to do? You're going to make a statue. And then you're going to pray to the statue. I don't want you praying to a statue. Because you're going to take the focus off of me and put it on something that you made. There's a reason he calls us sheep. Um, let's go on. So in verse 23, he says, Guard yourselves lest you forget the covenant of Yehovah. There he is again. He's, you need to guard yourself. You're going to forget. You need to protect yourself. So how do you protect yourself? How do you remember? How, how, how do you remember to stay glued to God and to his word? It, I know that sounds difficult, but it's really not. How, how do you guard yourself and make sure that that's just the number one thing on your mind? Read it. Read it. Type it. Eat it. Live it. Listen to it 24-7. Anybody here, confession time, anybody here play a video game more than you should have? Come on now. Anybody here play a game on your phone more than, okay, let's be, okay, anybody here play a game on your phone more than you should have? Whether it's the word games or the box games or whatever. Anybody play those more than you should on your phone? Have you ever played them to the point to where you're talking to somebody and you can see that crazy stuff in your head? I can't be the only one that's ever done that right? And you're sitting there moving the, moving the boxes in your head when you're going, I'm not even playing the game. And I'm sitting here going, because we played it too much, right? That means you spent so much time in that, that it's now like becoming a part of you because you can't get your mind off it. Well, guess what? That's where the word of God is. That's why he said, this is, here's the deal. When you get up in the morning, let it be the first thing you're talking about. When you're going along the way, let it be the main thing that you're talking about. When you sit down to eat, let that be the main thing that you're talking about. When you lie down to go to sleep, let that be the main thing that you talk about. When you're talking to your kids, let that be the main thing that you're talking about. When you're talking to your spouse, let that be the main thing that you're talking about. Let it be the main thing in your life. You do that so much that the, that's why the, the New Testament says the washing of the water of the Word. The more you're in the Word of God and the more you're letting it get into you, the more it cleanses you and starts to take control of you and you start to see and understand the, literally the wisdom of God and you start seeing things in the Scripture that you didn't see before because you have to read it so many times because it needs to wash us. Why? Because we constantly in this world getting dirty. We've constantly got to take a spiritual shower. Folks, that's how you do it. The problem is we've been told, well, those first five books don't apply. You want to go in there and find a principle or whatever, that's fine, but they really don't apply. Well, I'm going to show you why that's not right. So in verse 24 at the bottom of page 2, it says, For Yahweh your Elohim is a consuming fire and a jealous El, a jealous El, that is short for Elohim, for God, 
uh, meaning that he loves us and wants a relationship with us like a husband and a wife. And when we go off serving other things, even ourselves and these other religions, that's playing the harlot and he's jealous and he'll have none of it. This is where, this is the biggest issue in Scripture. And I want to show you something that's absolutely incredible. This section, we don't have time to delve into the whole thing, but it's a section of 20, verses 25 through 40 of chapter 4. Folks, this is the a prophecy and this is the start of it where God is now prophesying about the people of Israel. Once you look at the, you might want to write that down on there somewhere on your page that that's what this is. This is a prophecy about Israel, what they're going to do, and what's going to happen at the end of time. So in verse 25 it says, When you bring forth children and grandchildren, and shall grow old in the land, and shall do corruptly. He's telling us that this is what's going to happen. You're going to go in there, you're going to, do, you're going to be corrupt. And make carved, a carved image in whatever form, the form of whatever. You shall do whatever is evil in the eyes of Yahweh your Elohim to provoke him. Not what you think is evil. See, we have a definition of what we think is evil and good. God has His definition of what real evil is. Real evil is getting involved with other things that are attached to these other entities that are His mortal enemies and thinking that it's okay to mix that with our worship of Him. And He says, I shall call the heavens and the earth to witness against you on that day that you, uh, that you soon completely perish from the land which you possess over the Yardan, the Jordan to possess, you do not prolong your days in it, but are completely destroyed. Look at this. And Yahovah shall scatter you among the peoples, or nations, and you shall be left few in number among the Gentiles where Yahovah drives you. You skip down to verse 30, and it says, In your distress, when all these words shall come upon you in the later days... Then you shall return to Yahovah your Elohim and shall obey His voice. I want to paraphrase this and then share something with you. He's saying here, here's what's going to happen. This is a prophecy, and this isn't the only place in Deuteronomy where this prophecy comes up. He says, you're going to go in the land, and you're going to do the Baal of Peor thing. And then you're going to be kicked out of the land, and destroyed, and God will scatter you among all the nations of the world. It says that all this is going to happen, and then in the, in the latter days, you're going to call out to God and return to Him and obey Him. Later, much later, when we get into, I think, chapter 30 or 31, it's literally going to talk about this again and about how God will scatter them to the nations, and then at the end of the time, He will bring them all back, all 12 tribes, bring them all back into the land of Israel. Here's what's absolutely fascinating. There are so many people in the world, Christian and others alike, that will say, well, here's the deal. Here's what happened. Israel disobeyed God with the Nebuchadnezzar thing, Babylon. The 10 northern tribes, they were scattered by Assyria in 720-something B.C. And then in 586 B.C., uh, that's when Babylon comes because the two southern tribes they send, they go into captivity for 70 years, and then they come back, and that's when Israel came back, and they all came into the land. 
and they were there until 70 A.D. You following with me? Jesus comes, dies on the cross, 30, 33 A.D., whatever. About 30 years later, in 70 A.D., Rome destroys Israel, destroys Jerusalem, renames the land Palestine after the Philistines. Destroyed the temple and scattered the people. Said, we're done with you and we will destroy you as a nation. So they scattered them to the four corners of the earth. Renamed the land after the Philistines. And that land, I don't know if you know this or not. Do your history. That land, what is now called Israel, has never been a Palestinian country. Did you know that? There has never been a state of Palestine, ever. The Jews that are occupying Palestine is a false narrative lie. And when people say that, they're actually showing their ignorance of history and facts on the ground. That area was called Palestine, but no, there was not, there has never been a nation in control of that whole area except Israel. Ever. None. There were these tribes and these people groups scattered all around, but that whole area was never a nation except for the nation of Israel. Ever. And in the 2,000 years since, there wasn't a little nation over there called Palestine. It was part of the Ottoman Empire. And that little section was called Palestine, and it was a desert wasteland. There were people living there. They called them Palestinian Jews, Palestinian Arabs. There's Palestinian Druze, all these other groups that were because they lived in the Palestinian area, kind of like we're Americans, I'm assuming. But where are we right now? In the great nation of Texas. Amen. Hallelujah. We're in the nation of Texas. It's not a nation. should be. Was. Do your history. Um, but uh, we're Americans living in Texas. There were Arabs and Jews and others living in Palestine in that er- because they were in that area, but there wasn't a nation of Palestine. Never in history has there been a nation of Palestine. You, you following me? So a lot of people are now saying, I just had to get that out and air my grievances because when I hear people talk, sometimes I'm like, do you understand the words that are coming out of your mouth? You know, because evidently you have not read real history because you're regurgitating the garbage that they're telling you instead of what, what is really happening. So there are a lot of people that are saying, okay, and I agree with this. What happened in 1948? Y'all know, right? The nation of Israel was reborn, right? Never happened in the history of mankind where a nation used to exist in a land, gone, lost their language and everything, this nation for 2,000 years, but there has never been a nation who has been totally dispersed 
lost their language, total identity in the area, and come back as a nation with their native language. Not in human history, except for Israel in 1948. Can I get an amen somebody? Right? That's pretty cool, right? So there are a lot of people saying, you see, this was fulfilled in 1948. There's one problem. You have to read your Bible in, in context. Because what does it say here? In your distress, they'll say, were they in distress in, in the 40s in World War II? Yeah, they were in distress. Of course they were. In your distress, when all these words shall come upon you in the latter days, and you shall return to Yahovah your Elohim and shall obey His voice. What you might not understand is that a vast majority, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there's a vast, vast majority of people living in Israel, Jewish, Israelis, or whatever, Israelis, because you can also be an Arab Israeli. Israel is a democratic country that the UN, through God's intervention, birthed in 1948. Most of the Jews and most of the people that have gone to Israel have gone there to start a new life, and then most of them, watch this, are not obeying the voice of Yehovah, our God. It's not happening. One of the largest in all of Europe and the Middle East, LGBTQ, rave, what, XYZ, marches happens in Tel Aviv, Israel. Just this last week, because Israel passed a nationality law, there were tens if not hundreds of thousands of people that protested on behalf of the LGBT community in Israel because they felt that that law was unfair to them if they want to be a surrogate parent. You want to tell me that they're obeying the voice of God. I'm reading in their commentary saying that it's okay to change the Word of God to fit the culture and that they have the authority to do it because after all, they have the oral Torah. We sit here and shake our heads like, you have got to be kidding. How could anybody? That's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yet, Protestants and Catholics have been doing it for 2,000 years. So we're all in the same boat. But God is now raising up people to say, that is not what I said. That is not what I meant. There is one story. I've been consistent the whole time. You've bought the lie of the devil. It is the last days, and I'm revealing my truth to you that you live your life this way to glorify me, not to get me to do anything because I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's God. Because He is God. His name, Yahovah, literally means that He was, that He is, that He will be, and that He's going to be what He wants to be when He wants to be it. That's Paul's way of saying it. It means that He literally exists, and because He exists, everything is. Amen. Folks, this hasn't happened yet. It also says that when this does happen, and they come back in these latter days that all the nations will know that God did it. That God did it. All the nations now say Israel did it, the UN did it, and the reason the Arabs are mad, besides the fact that the devil's playing everybody like a fiddle, 
this other entity decided to put up a nation in our backyard of people we hate. So we consider it occupied territory. We don't like it. We want to be back the way it was when we had the Ottoman Empire and we controlled this whole area and we could do whatever we wanted and we could pass whatever Arab laws or Muslim laws we wanted to pass. And on top of that, Satan hates the Jew. You know why? Here it is. God said it. This is what I'm going to do. And Satan goes, well, then I'm going to do my best to stop you from doing what you said you're going to do because if I can stop you from saying what you were going to do, then I can say, you know what? You ain't all that. Guess what? You have no legal authority to send me to hell in the lake of fire forever. I've got a legal argument. So he wants to destroy the Jew or destroy the human DNA genome. And he'd rather do that. And by doing that, he can also stop God from doing what he said he wanted to do. So that's, that's why, folks, when you see anti-Semitism, it's straight out of the pit of hell. And it's dealing with this prophecy right here. Now, here's what I want to show you. I'm just going to tell you. We don't have time to, to finish this. But it's just it's so powerful. The first five books of the Bible are what? It's the Torah, which explains how God created the world. Then he birthed a nation out of Egypt from one man in comparison to all the other nations. And he said, I will prove to the world, to all of the unseen realm and the seen realm alike, the heavens and the earth, the skies and everything made, I will prove to everything and everyone that I am the one true God that created everything and I'm going to do it through these people. So the rest of the book of, uh, of the Torah is describing this process of them becoming a nation. Starting with the very next book, Joshua, is where they cross over into the promised land. Watch this. The rest of your Old Testament, from Joshua forward, all of it, every bit of it, literally every bit of it from Joshua to Malachi is a description of what Israel did when they crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land and did exactly what He said they would do and become illegitimate, unfaithful, and He would judge them and scatter them. That storyline literally goes all the way up to the book of Acts. Because Yeshua is the answer to the problem. After the gospel accounts, you have Acts and the letters of the apostles explaining how Yeshua is the answer to the problem. Then you have the book of Revelation, which is the last gospel, actually, because it says what? This is the truth of Yeshua. 
and he is literally the spirit of prophecy. And we studied all of that. So the simple storyline is, all of these angelic beings rebelled against God. God said, no problem. I'm going to create a nation and I'm going to prove to them through this little bitty nation that I am God. And I'm going to tell them, this is how you live your life. And when you do this, I am going to bless you. Doing what I say is your wisdom. Getting what I say into your mind, your heart, your DNA is your life and wisdom. You're going to do the wrong thing. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. I'm going to tell you before you do it. And then we did it. And he's going to say, and here's how you deal with it. Get my word in your heart. Get it into your kid's heart. Train them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they what? Will not depart from it. Oh my, I thought we were supposed to train them up the way we thought they should go. What? Train them up in the way that they should go, which is what? According to what he said. And when we live it a certain way and do what he said, we're going to the devil. Literally. We're going, you thought you were all that? You murdered the king of glory? You idiot. Are you kidding me? Lucifer, are you kidding me? You were the high cherub, you moron. And you let greed and pride get in the way because God made us in His image? Are you serious? So when we live like this, what are we saying? God is God and everybody else ain't. And Yeshua, God became flesh and died on the cross so that we could love Him rightly and that He would fill in all the gaps and that everything we do, whether in word or deed, we're doing it to His glory. And when we do that, the world is looking on going, God is God. Now then, is it any wonder that the world looks at Christianity and says God ain't God? Right? Because what's the difference between what you see in a normal church and Christians and what you see in the world? None. Zero. Why? Because we keep adulterating the Word of God. We keep adding to it and taking away from it instead of just simply what it says. And we think it's okay to do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it, the way we want to do it, because, hey, I love God. I'm just doing this because I love God. God goes, well, you know what? There's one problem. I remember that thing you're using right there to worship me, and you might not realize this, but they used to kill their babies on that. And um, the ones that they killed them to is my mortal enemy. And then you're so messed up, you're calling me Baal. You might not know that if you're new here. But it says that they did this thing at the Baal, and literally it says the Baal of Peor. Baal means Lord. Lord means master. It's not his name. It's a title, and it's a title that can also be used of demons. So we call him Lord, Baal. We mix pagan things in with Christianity. 
we think it's okay to do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it, because after all, we love Jesus and we've got grace and He knows my heart. Yeah, He knows our heart. And we don't believe that the Torah actually applies to us, so we don't read it, don't study it, don't teach it to our children, except here. Thank you, I got it good. Amen. That's why we do what we do, because we want them to understand it. But overall, people are not doing that. And so then now we don't have wisdom, we don't have understanding, we don't know what good is, we don't know what God would have us do, we don't understand that the way we live our life is really supposed to glorify Him. We think that we, we live our lives the way we want to, that's going to glorify Him. Wrong. We've got everything inside out. We think that the lie is the truth, the truth is a lie, black is white and white, and white is black, in is out and up is down, and we don't even understand what's going on. We think that the Jews are occupying this other country called Palestine that never existed. And we say all this stuff with a straight face and even say that Jesus died on the cross on Friday, rose on Sunday, and that's three days, three nights. And do it with a straight face and actually believe it. Actually believe it and actually tell other people, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks, it's because... We refuse to just do what it says, and we've added to and taken away from it. And what's worse, we're limiting our own children. Work with me here for one second. I know I've gone on tonight. Paul said in Romans that we've been what in chapter 11? We've been grafted into Israel. You need to understand something. You need to get this down. There's only two people groups in the world. There's only two people groups. There are those that belong to Yahovah and those that don't. Those that belong to Yahovah are brought into His family. Adopted, and as Paul says, he uses the term adopted and in Romans, grafted in. So like it or not, if you believe that Yeshua is the King of Kings and that Yahovah is the one true God, I hate to tell you this, but you're a Hebrew. You, you cannot, it's, a, it's an oxymoron. You cannot be a believer in Yeshua and be Gentile. It's not you, you can't. You cannot be a Gentile believer. There is no such thing. The Gentile means of the nations. Alienated, separate from God. The other nations that are worshiping the demons. So you can't be a Gentile believer. You're either grafted into Israel or you're not. You're either part of His family or you're not. I believe I've been grafted into Israel. What tribe am I? I have no idea that God's going to tell me that at some point in time. I have no idea. Not really concerned with it. People get all wrapped up in that. I'd say, just cool you jets, don't worry about it. But watch this. If that is true, the Torah still applies to me and applies to us. Why wouldn't you want to do everything that God told His people to do that have been doing for some three, four thousand, three thousand years now, 3,500 years now, and that their kids are geniuses? Why would we want to limit our own kids and go, yeah, but, you know, 
Well, we got public schools now and colleges and stuff and, you know, all that Torah stuff. How about we start teaching them Leviticus from day one? If you like stats, look at the stats, if that'll convince you. And do what God said and then watch them be blessed because they'll become exceedingly wise. I'm telling you, we got some wise children here that just bless me. Bless me. Um, Look, God loves you so much. He crossed eternity down a cross for you. Remove all the barriers so that we could be reunited with Him. Have a fellowship with Him. A walk with Him. The Creator of the universe. What? He gave us and in there it's called right rulings. The, the Bible calls the Torah of God truth, righteousness, life, and light. It's not bad. It's not limiting. It's limitless. It's empowering. It's not legalism. So God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's given you His Word to study and read and gain wisdom and understanding from it. Somehow, you and I have to learn to get out of the way and stop asking God why. You don't know what's coming. If if we would just do what He says now, I'm telling you, We're in the end times. There's something special coming. There's something about this marriage supper of the Lamb and this this thousand-year reign and rule. And the Scripture says that those that know their God will do mighty things. I'm going to aim high. I'm tired of aiming low, and I'm going to aim high. I'm going to try to just do what He said, Stop asking so many questions and do it to glorify Him. And who knows, maybe, maybe He'll let me or let you or let us do marvelous things for Him and do it in such a way that the world will go, wow. That day's still coming. It hasn't happened yet because the world doesn't know it yet. And I hear pastors say that that happened in 1948, and I just sit there and go, well... You're a great guy. You're very knowledgeable and everything, but you're wrong. Because the proof in the pudding, the proof that the prophecy has happened is that people will be obeying God and that the world will know that God Himself did it, not the UN, not Israel, not the United States, but God did it. And nobody knows that yet. So it can't have happened yet. Did He start the process? Yes. But it's still coming. Now then. That actually should be really encouraging, right? Because if it's already happened and we're still living in a messed up world, then what's there to look forward to, right? I'm just like, this is all messed up. But if it hasn't happened yet, meaning it's, and it's going to be great, that means we might live to see it. 
and it'll be bigger than the 1948 event. 